Hey there, I'm Beth Connors, a midwife and mom of two, but also your birth bestie. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into everything you need to feel confident, prepared, and in control from baby bump to delivery room, from practical tips to personal stories. We'll cover it all so you know exactly what to expect every step of the way. Let's get into it. Welcome back to episode 11 of Your Birth Bestie podcast. I really just want to jump right in today and answer a few questions that I've been getting a lot lately. When you guys message me on Instagram about a specific question, I would love to go into lots and lots of detail, but right now as a one woman business and being home with my daughters during the day, I just am not able to do that. And sometimes I do get carried away and give you all of the information in multiple messages because each message has a character limit, but in the best interest of my time and because you deserve all of the information, not a shortened DM message, I hope this podcast is a helpful resource for you. And you've probably noticed that I like to keep these episodes short and sweet because I know that your time is so precious and you're so busy. So let's just cut out all of the fluff and get to exactly what you want to know. So the questions that I will answer today are on the top five common hospital birth interventions that are not actually required. Because remember, just because something is routine or standard, or the majority of people do or don't do something, you have the right to your own decision making. So to give you an overview, I will cover continuous IV fluids, or just having an IV in general during labor, Pitocin administration in the postpartum period, right after your baby is born, artificially rupturing the bag of waters to progress labor, pushing on your back, and lastly, how what you wear in labor can affect your birth. So the first question is, do I have to get an IV during labor? And if you've had a baby before, this was probably done literally as you're being admitted to the hospital and while you're answering those intake questions by the nurse. But if you haven't had a baby before, it's maybe something that you've never even questioned because you just expect to have one. So while it's true that medical professionals often prefer to have an IV in place during labor for those emergency situations, it's important to know that it's not always necessary. An IV is placed in pretty much every laboring mom that is admitted for convenience, you know, just in case, but that doesn't mean it's the right choice for you. First, you'll want to think about what you would actually be okay with being given to you in that IV, uh, what situations you would actually agree to that. And if you're planning an epidural or getting IV pain medication, you will need an IV. Um, If you're GBS positive and have consented to antibiotics during labor, an IV would be needed for that. And if you're planning a C-section or are high risk for postpartum bleeding and would consent to a life-saving blood transfusion, you would need an IV for those things. So that would be unavoidable in those circumstances. But if you're low risk and everything is going well, an IV isn't something that is needed ahead of time unless there is a concern that comes up. So know the reasons for an IV placement and have an idea of when you'd be okay with having one if that came up. You can also have something called a saline lock or a hep lock. And this is where an IV is placed in a peripheral vein and there is no needle that stays in, just a small catheter tube, which would be flushed and capped. So in case of an emergency, there is already you know, access established and an injection would be able to be given quickly um, because it's already there. So you wouldn't be hooked up to anything. It would just be in place and taped securely if that makes you feel more comfortable. But the bottom line is that you can have a hospital birth without IV access. So it's totally your choice. Jumping to the next question, do I have to get Pitocin after baby is born? And the answer is no. 
So if you've only heard of Pitocin, which is synthetic oxytocin used for induction, it's also used in the postpartum period as well. This is because loss of muscle tone in the uterus is a serious condition responsible for about 70 to 80% of all postpartum hemorrhages if they occur. So lack of tone would be a provider's first suspicion if there was excessive bleeding after delivery before considering anything else. Because without tone, the uterus cannot contract to stop the bleeding, and this is why Pitocin would be given in these situations, really to help that uterus contract. But regardless of how labor went for you, if you were induced or not, if you're in the hospital, there is a very, very, very high chance that your provider or nurse will start IV Pitocin as soon as your baby is born. Obviously, if you don't have an IV, that's not possible, but it is started at a low dose to help your placenta detach from the uterus right after your baby is born and help deliver the placenta. And then once the placenta is out, a very high dose of Pitocin is usually started. And this is called active management in the third stage of labor. They don't know at this point if you have excessive bleeding to require the medication, but they're going to give it anyways just in case. So this is routinely done, often without your consent. And this actually happened to me as a patient during my first hospital birth, along with several other medications for postpartum hemorrhage that I did not find out about until I requested my medical records two years later when I wanted to process my birth before having my second baby. And so many of you guys have actually reached out saying that you had no idea what was given to you in that period of time because things were too crazy or chaotic and too much was going on. Plus, you're probably so focused on your new baby that it just seems like a blur. And it's not that Pitocin is bad at all, because there is a time and place, but it's not having given informed consent that doesn't at all sit right with me. You should also know that your body does know how to initiate postpartum contractions with a natural surge of oxytocin in that postpartum period, as well as it's helpful to put baby to breast right away to increase the oxytocin and help that uterus contract and control bleeding all by itself without the use of synthetic Pitocin. This is a great example of supporting physiologic birth and not intervening unless necessary. Of course, you would still be looking out for anything concerning, but just know that it's an option to decline Pitocin to actively manage the third stage of labor if you're comfortable and that it's a good fit in your situation. So it's just another example of acting before we know if an intervention is needed, just like the IV we talked about before. The next question is, if my water doesn't automatically break on its own to start labor, will I automatically need my provider to break it at the hospital? And the answer is 1000% no. Breaking the bag of water or artificial rupture of membranes, or ARAM, if your provider does this, it is used to help your labor progress or speed up labor, usually if there's a concern to mom or to baby and a quicker delivery is safer, that's when this would be an option. But it really doesn't come without risk. In my own experience, I have seen providers that break every single one of their patient's bag of water on admission as a means to speed up things, but that is not an example of individualizing care and to me would definitely be a red flag. That bag of water is a cushion for your baby and it can cause fetal distress if the, ba- if the bag of water is broken before the baby is in a good position for labor at that point and before they're ready. And we really want baby to be engaged in the pelvis to limit the rare chance of something called an umbilical cord prolapse where the cord comes out of the cervix before your baby does, which would then cut off the oxygen supply 
which would be an emergency situation ending in a cesarean. So this is rare when ARAM is performed carefully, when your baby is well engaged, and when it's actually needed or indicated. And I also wanted to mention that, of course, you can't help if your water breaks on its own. So I wouldn't worry about this situation happening. This is more if something is done, you know, artificially or your provider is doing something without a medical indication. But to go back and answer the question, your bake of water will either break hours before contractions even start, maybe while you're in early labor or active labor or while you're pushing, or some babies are even born in their amniotic sac called an end-call birth, which happens in about 1 in 80,000 births. So the bag of water would actually be opened after your baby is completely born inside of their sac. So really, you do not need to worry about your water being broken at all um, if things are going well. So even if you have a long labor, there is no need really to speed things along by breaking the bag of water. Your body and your baby are working together in the best way possible, and things will progress as they are meant to. Another question that comes up a lot is about the pushing stage and the position. So somebody submitted a question saying, my provider says he's okay with me laboring however I want, but when it comes time to delivery, he says he only delivers in the bed. This can't be right, can it? So you are totally right. This isn't at all okay to manipulate women in this way. It would be forcing you against what maybe your body is instinctively telling you to do. Providers are really able to deliver in any position, but more importantly, they should be willing to serve you in the best way possible. So if this was my provider, I would definitely take this to be a red flag and dig deeper asking more questions or honestly, maybe even finding somebody who would support my goals more openly because this seems closed-minded and not at all reassuring for me. To share my story a little bit, my first hospital birth, I instinctively wanted to be in hands and knees leaning over the back of the hospital bed. This was what was most comfortable to me. I was using gravity and everything was going fine. But then I was you know, due for a cervical check that I agreed to. Um, so I was on my back and was found to be 10 centimeters dilated and instructed to start pushing in that position. Even though you know, moments before I wasn't feeling that need to push, it was just time for me to be checked. So I started pushing on my back. I didn't have any options of switching positions or you know, any techniques to, to cope with that situation. And I was in that position from the time of the cer- cervical check for then four hours being coached the entire time, people yelling at me, and eventually a vacuum-assisted device had to be used um, for maternal exhaustion. And I didn't know I had any options, and I still feel like 100%, if I would have known better and I would have had the the tools to cope better and advocate for myself and position changes and saying, you know, that's not what I feel comfortable with, and my partner, my husband would have been able to advocate for me as well. If I just would have known these things, I wouldn't have had the traumatic experience or the several months of perineal and pubic symphysis pain postpartum that I had to experience. So just because pushing on your back in the bed is more convenient for your healthcare team doesn't at all mean that that is the way that you have to do it or that you should do it unless it's something that you feel comfortable with and that's instinctively what your body is telling you to do. Even if you have an epidural, you do not have to labor on your back. There is so many more options for you. And it really comes down to what feels best for you. Nobody else is in control. It is all you in that moment. 
And lastly, a question about what to wear during labor. So I got the question that says, I am packing my hospital bag and unsure what I will want to wear during labor. Are there any guidelines that I have to follow? And the simple answer is that you can wear as little or as much as you feel comfortable with. There are no rules when it comes to this. Uh, the only exception would be that if you choose to get an epidural, it really is easiest to wear a hospital gown or a labor gown that you bring from home that has an opening in the back for access to do the procedure. And before I mention a few things to consider when choosing what to pack, I want to say that wearing a hospital gown during labor is often seen as the default option, but it is not required. Wearing your own comfortable clothing can contribute to a more positive birth experience, making you feel more relaxed and definitely more in control. It can really be that first step in creating a safe environment that best supports your labor flow and increases your confidence, really all from what you are wearing. So it is such a simple step, but so important to know. So a few things to think about are where do you plan on laboring? So if you're planning to use hydrotherapy like a tub or a shower, you might not want anything on at all or maybe think about bringing a comfortable bra just knowing that it will obviously get wet so bringing an extra one as well. You might plan on walking around in the hospital halls and would feel best in maybe a nightgown or a dress and then a robe to cover up your backside. So you can do this with hospital gowns too, typically one that opens in the back and then flip it around a different one and you know wear one in the front and one in the back to cover up. But it just ends up being a lot of fabric and a lot of women are just very un uncomfortable in that. So in those early stages of labor, it could be a good idea to bring something comfortable uh, from home. One thing I want to mention too is that no matter where you're laboring, um, at the time of delivery, if you are planning on doing skin to skin immediately with your baby, make sure that whatever you're wearing can be quickly pulled down or taken off completely to expose your bare chest. The nursing bras that clasp in the front or back I found to be the easiest rather than trying to pull over or pull down you know, a sports bra. It can definitely work, it just is a lot trickier and in the moment you just want baby right to your chest and that the easier the better. But what it comes down to when you're deciding what to bring is really whatever makes you feel more relaxed because that is what will help your oxytocin to flow and contribute to a more positive, hopefully quicker, and smoother delivery too. So that is my top five list of common hospital interventions or standard practices that aren't actually required, even though it might seem like there's no other option. Some providers may be more adamant than others on doing these routine interventions, but it's absolutely your right to agree or decline. I would love to help you navigate these decisions, give you resources on how to communicate with your provider about these things ahead of time, and teach you the tools to be your best advocate during your hospital birth. So this is your official invite to join me in the comprehensive birth course, Hands Off Hospital Birth. You will get the guidance and tools to make your unique vision for a hospital birth a reality, honoring your preferences every single step of the way. I don't only cover the basics that you can learn just about anywhere, but I really value taking a deep dive into autonomy, informed decision-making, and your birth rights, as well as overcoming fears, intentional pain coping strategies, and working with your partner and your birth team to make sure that your wishes are supported. I've also included modules on postpartum, nutrition, and breastfeeding because I want you to be supported in all areas of your transition to motherhood or adding another little one to your family. 
More information can be found at bethconnors.com forward slash birth course. And as always, don't hesitate to reach out with any questions or comments. I'm happy to support you or point you in the direction that's most helpful for your needs if what I have is not a good fit for you. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Your Birth Bestie Podcast. I hope you learned something new and feel at least a little bit more prepared for your upcoming hospital birth. If you'd like me to answer one of your questions on an upcoming episode, you can submit it at bethconnors.com forward slash ask, and I would love to share my thoughts. I hope you have a great week, and I will see you here next Tuesday.